You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. So uh, this Christmas break, I was hanging out with my son, and, and he, we give him uh, 15 minutes uh, of iPad time a day. And, and what he does with that 15 minutes is he, he goes on YouTube, and he just starts scrolling through stuff. And, and what he always ends up getting to is this, uh, this thing called Ryan's Toy Review. Have you all ever seen that? Yeah, right there? Okay. All right. And so, so here's the deal. This, this kid is seven years old, and he's a millionaire. He has, he has millions of subscribers, and you know what he does? It's brilliant. He, he gets toys, he opens them up, and talks about them. From June 2017 to June 2018, he made $22 million. God, when can I have something like that? Like, it's that simple, right? All you have to do is just open toys, and you get paid millions, and you're like, why? Like, I'm just praying that when I grow up, I, I want to be like Ryan, uh, and, and like, just have that simple idea that makes, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and I think in a lot of us, especially with the New Year's coming up, we have our New Year's resolutions, and... And, and I think in, deep down inside, or maybe in the surface level, you're thinking, how can I be great? Like, how can I be the next Ryan? Or you're at a spot where you're asking yourself, my, my life is at a point where I think I should have already hit what I've, what I've dreamed to be, and why am I not there? Why did I miss influence and people affirming me, and me being great. Why, why did I miss that? I think so what we try to do with New Year's resolutions is we, we, we sort of like decide that we're going to do certain things in our life, and then hoping that in us seeking after these new things, hopefully it'll make us greater. It'll make us greater. And, and you know the interesting thing about the word decide? It, it comes from uh, the Latin phrase uh, to mean to cut off. So, so literally, when, when you have uh, options on the table and you pick one, there's this FOMO, my wife taught me this, FOMO is fear of missing out, uh, that happens in you because when you pick option A, you are freaking out about the fact that option C, D, E, F, and beyond, you didn't choose. And like, what, what if those options right there were the ones that were going to make me great, but I chose option A and I'm not great? And there's this freak out that happens in your body whenever you end up deciding. I mean, think about, have you ever been to Cheesecake Factory? The menu at Cheesecake Factory, and you, you have like 30 pages and the waitress comes by and asks us five times if we're ready. And my wife's like, one second, I gotta read all, I, got, I don't know, I don't know what to pick, I don't know how to pick. And it's like, instead of Cheesecake Factory, isn't it much easier to have a Raising Cane's or a Chick-fil-A? It's like, number one, chicken, two, chicken, Three chicken with bread. Like, it's just, that's all it is. It's like, it's like, I can do that. My wife doesn't eat gluten, but she can do that because it's just easier to pick amongst those options where it's just simple. And, and, and going into Judges 10, this is Judges 10. This dude judged for 22 years, he did. That's it. Another dude pops up, judges for 23 years, has 30 kids, they have 30 donkeys, they have 30 cities, he did. That's all you get. That, that is, and, and, and sandwiched all in that is you have these people, you have Gideon, who not only gets, he doesn't get five verses like these two dudes. 
he gets three chapters in Judges. God spends time talking about Gideon for three chapters. And then after that, you get a little bit more. You get, you get Abimelech, he gets a chapter. Then you get Tola and Jer, they get five verses. Then you get Jephthah, they get a chapter and a half. Jephthah gets. And it's like, why do they only get five verses? Like, what, what's happening here is, is you, are, you can just look at the span of people in your life and they are talked about a lot, they are affirmed, they have a platform, they have influence, and you look at yourself as like, why well, I only get five verses? What, what is wrong? Like, why, why is it when we see Judges 10, one through five, why does it look so disgusting? Why does it look like the people that aren't great and, and, and the people that don't have influence and the people that just have a bunch of kids and like disciple them and then they did? Why does that feel so disgusting? And, and I think uh, wrapped up in, in all this is, is actually a lot. Um, because I think all of us are uh, we're just asking this question. Like, what, what if I don't get the life that I dreamed about when I graduated high school or graduated college? Or you're thinking, why don't I have that life? Everyone looks at me and applauds. And I look good. And people are being impacted left and right. Because here, here's how it goes, right? We, we all want to be great. And some of that's for like actually good reasons. You, you can go to Matthew 5, 16. You're like, hey, like make your light shine before men so that when they see your good works, they'll glorify God. I just want people to see my good works. They glorify Jesus. But I just want people to see my good works. Why don't people see my good works? You know, this, this is like actually you can Christianize it. And be like, can people just see my good works? And really what's wrapped up in that is this idea that you are seeking your own glory and not God's. That's what you're about. And this is not just me preaching to y'all. This is preaching to me. I am seeking my own kingdom. And that is how I live my life. And that's what leads me to a place where I make 2019 New Year's resolutions. And it's all about my greatness and my kingdom. That's why when we read Judges 10, it doesn't look great. It's boring and inspiring. And I think the problem comes down to a few things. And I think we just got to process this together. Uh, one, maybe we've defined greatness wrongly. That's one of the things. Maybe we seek the wrong things to achieve greatness. We're asking the wrong questions, or maybe we just seek the wrong glory. And so in, in the midst of us, like when we have that sort of moment where it's like we, we want this out here and we don't have it, or we wish for this thing and now we don't have it, like we've already passed the major points of our life and it's just like we just don't have that great of an impact and influence, what we try to do then is to seek to control it. That's why we kind of start white knuckling our way and getting like these 10 things that we're going to do. And if we do these two things, then God's going to do something uh, really great. And the problem with that is if you just see in the world, uh, there, there are untalented, immoral people that are amazing and do great things and have a great impact for the world. And you know what the opposite is too? There are godly people that are humble and they never make it great. 
You know what the kicker is with all that? The kicker is, is that whether you are Nebuchadnezzar or whether you are Paul, he will use those people for his glory and put them on a platform wherever he wants for his glory. That, that, that's the truth of the matter is. So, so you can't white knuckle your way or like do these, like change these dials over here. And if you do those things, then like you will be this person of great influence because you're not in control, God is. If you don't believe me, let me just show you a couple verses. This is how scripture talks about the sovereignty of God and in particular, the Holy Spirit, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 12 and 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit, John 3, 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. John 16, 8. No one can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. John 6, 44. I am the vine, you are the branches, and if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. What is that saying? God's in control. And what does that mean for us is that when we realize that we can't just like place ourselves in certain situations to be of influence, because if you can, you can still be an influence, but not have a humble heart seeking God's kingdom. You can also not be an influence and not have a humble heart seeking God's, God's kingdom, okay? So what we need to do as people when we realize we're not in control is that we beg and wait on the Lord, on the one who actually is in control. We beg as beggars, because we can fake a lot of things for a while. Think about just like the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower, there's a seed that falls in the thorns, and there's joy that happens for a little bit, and then the thorns choke it up. So you can look at someone and like they can fake it for a little bit, but if the seed's not planted in the right soil, which is the sovereignty of God, it does not prosper and bear fruit. It doesn't. So we, we beg in community. Um, we, we, we take this position where we realize that he is the one that controls it all. And here's what we do though. That, that's, that's option A. Where, where we try to like, we, we beg and plead before God on our knees and wait on the Lord and abide in the Spirit. But what we end up doing is we take control. And how we do that is we, we start to do some things in our life where we think like we're going to seek God's will. And really it's not God's will, it's just our own flesh, but we slap God's name on it. Here's how it goes. Man, I really think God told me to buy a Lamborghini because I'll feel better. Like, God told you that? Like, where did you, where did you get that? You know, like, where did you get that? God told, like, he told you audibly? Where did you get that? Because here's what happened. Here's a couple of things where, we, where it leads us to a place where we have the God told me so equations. One, it got hard. It doesn't feel right. God told me to leave. Second, I don't love this or them anymore. So God told me to leave. 
Three, I'm not making a difference anymore, so God told me to leave. I could be doing this, not, not option A. Option A, I'm six months into my job, I don't love it, so maybe God told me I should leave. Maybe not. Like, maybe God's will is not something futuristic based upon difficult circumstances, but maybe it's something else. So let me read you this quote. And I'll give, I'll give a little background on this once, we, once I read it. Here's God's will. This is, I'm going to give you a gift today, and I'm going to actually tell you what God's will is. That's amazing. Like, this is good stuff. God's will for your life is this. Your sanctification. And God tends to use discomfort and trials more than comfort and ease to make us holy. So there's this book. It actually sold out um, in the first service, so we're going to get some the next week. Uh, It's Kevin DeYoung's book, Just Do Something. And what he does is he looks through all of Scripture, and he sees um, where in Scripture does it exactly say what God's will actually is. It's four times where it explicitly says this is God's will. Let me show it to you. Number one, live holy, set-apart lives. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Number two, always rejoice, pray, and give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Number three, know God's will so we can bear fruit and know him better. 1 Colossians 1, 9. And number four, be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, 17 through 18. You know what's interesting about all those? They're all about present now. God's will for your life laid out in scripture, he is wanting you to focus on a humble, contrite heart now. Not future, not seeking newness out here. He is saying God's will for your life is for you to be holy now. Doesn't that change things when we are seeking the Lord and we're praying for like futuristic things instead of like praying for the Lord to humble you and praying for the Lord to, to have you be needy before him. And, and here's a quote I, I, I want to share with you guys. It, it, this this kind of just brings it home. It's another quote from Kevin DeYoung. We obsess over the things God has not mentioned and may never mention, while by contrast, we spend little time on all the things God has already revealed to us in the Bible. Obsessing over the future is not how God wants us to live because showing us the future is not God's way. His way is to speak to us in the scriptures and transform us by the renewing of our minds. His way is not a crystal ball. His way is wisdom. We should stop looking for God to reveal the future to us and remove all risk from our lives. We should start looking to God, his character, his promises, and thereby have confidence to take risk for his name. So we can stop pleading with God to show us the future and start living and obeying like we are confident that he holds the future. That, that's what scripture talks about. Like it, we often think that when we read the Bible, that it, it's, it's there's moments where God descends and he verbally tells us something and then we go do it. You know, it's that sort of thing. But, but let's just even take some examples like Paul. Paul in Acts chapter 15. I want you to read this verse. This is what it says. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. 
This is Paul, wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, and he ha- even has moments where it's not just like, angel from above, and this angel speaks to him. It is just, seem good to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to abide by the Spirit because I know I, I can't do anything without it. I'm going to abide. And then what I got, what I got, God, please stop me in my tracks if it's off. That's how Paul operated in the New Testament. He's just abiding by the Spirit and then saying, it seemed good to the Spirit. I'm just going gonna, gonna to focus on my holiness and sanctification and just walk with the Lord. And so I, I just think that that's really encouraging for us to hear that we don't have to worry about the future or try to take control of it because God already holds our future. He already holds it. Instead of leading us to a place of discontentment or isolation or being enslaved to our flesh, we really can give this up to God and say, God, I just want to wait and abide in you and you will light my path. You will, you will light it. So the gospel is this. The gospel is not you seeking newness for yourself to be great. The gospel is we seek a great God, and by great God, I actually mean great Father. We seek a great Father from our newness in Christ. Here's the thing. If you don't become great and have massive influence, God's still going to be seated on his throne. Here's the thing, too. Since he's a good father who loves his children, he has riches of his glory that he's wanting to flow through him to you, to his children. He loves you. You are a child of the king. And so instead of us seeking newness out here, figuring out where we're going to go, future stuff, we can actually just take on the cloak that's been provided through Jesus. We are a new creation in Jesus which means that we can, we can seek God out of that and we want his name to be great, not our own. And I, I think as I was like processing this and, and, and sort of figuring out what I was gonna say to you guys, the, the fear that came over my heart is that I can say all day from like up here that God is great. I think the fear in the pit of my stomach is that I don't think God is that great. Like the, the way that I live my life and the way that I just function without even like recognition of what he's actually doing, what I'm actually doing is seeking my greatness because I think I'm actually greater than him. And uh, I just like want to be honest with you guys, like that at the pit of my stomach, that's what I fear is that I say all day up here, he's great. And, 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 and how I live my life, it's as if I'm the main character and he's not. And he's not. In reality, he is the one in control. He's the one that is the main character of your story. He's the one. So we abide in our newness for change. And so that you start asking these questions. These are the type of questions that you should probably be asking yourself. It's not, will I be great? It's not that. Here are the questions that may be helpful for you to ask. Is he great to me? Here's another question. Who is great or becoming greater than me through me? Like when, I, when I think about Jer, when I think about even my wife, Sarah, you know what Sarah does? Sarah stays at home 12 hours a day, seven days a week by herself, discipling children 
And that's her greatness right now. And I think a lot of us look at that and go, that is boring and uninspiring. Why isn't she just pursuing this career and like creating a big platform? And the Lord may do that. The Lord may do that. But what if it's just the story of Jair where it's just, he had 30 kids, they had 30 cities, he had 30, they had 30 donkeys, and they named a city after him. And he's dead. That's it. That's his life. Just being faithful to people that are going to like be the next generation or faithful to someone else and allowing them to be greater than you. That, that's the story right now of Sarah Robinson. And, and what if... What, what if as a Christian, if you are a Christian, a child of God made in the newness of Christ, what if it's, that's a beautiful thing? And it's kind of a lost art right now, right, of, this, uh, of what we have now in this generation. It's like, you're, you're literally, I, and this was me, six months into me being thrust into adulthood, I'm like 20, 20, 22, 23, and I, I'm six months into my job, and I'm like, man, I don't really love my job. Why don't I have the house that my parents have? I should probably quit. You know, that's, that's how I thought. I mean, and really, generations, two, three generations ago, it's like they had a job for 40 years and were faithful. And what if God's saying, that's great. You being faithful to what he's put in front of you. Not a lot of influence, not a lot of impact, but you have a humble heart seeking his glory. And he says, that's great. That's biblical. That's what I honor. Whether you are low or whether you are high, you seek my kingdom and your glory and, and, and my glory and you make others greater than yourself. That, 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 that is the way of the scriptures. That is the way that God is calling us to, is asking the questions of am I seeking my own glory or am I seeking God's? Because if you seek the kingdom, all of your, everything else will be added unto you. So I, I, I want to end with a couple of uh, just applications for you. And, um, and I think it'll be helpful for us to kind of just process these. And, and hopefully I'll, I'll catch a few of y'all with this. Number one, sober yourself in the gospel by preaching it to yourself. So there's a balanced view that you need to have. The balanced view is, I'm, I'm a child, I'm not the king, but I'm a child of the king. Which means, God knows every number of hair on your head. The numbers of hairs on your head, he knows, he loves you, he knows you intimately, but you're not the main character of your story. You are a child of the king. And so there's moments of my day where I have to just preach to myself, I'm a child of the king. I'm, I'm not the main guy. I'm not the main guy. It's not about my glory. And, and I'll tell you, like, there, there's this, uh, just humbling moments. This, in just the past couple of weeks, I had, uh, there's just been this, this rage of envy uh, that has just taken root in my heart. And, uh, and in particular, in moments where if anybody's on stage that's preaching and it's not me, I have an envy to just be in their place rather than celebrate them. So in particular, I, like this past couple of weeks, it's so humiliating. I, just had to, I, I took my, my friend out to lunch and I sat across from him and I just said, I just want you to know that every time you get up on stage, 
I don't celebrate the gift that God has given you, but I just want to be in your place. And I need you to forgive me. Like my wicked heart just wants my glory and you have a gift that God has crafted and, and I have moments where I could care less about that. So I just have to, I, I mean, I have to literally just come before the Lord and come before people that, that love me and just repent and I had to ask for his forgiveness. And so maybe preaching the gospel to yourself looks like that or, or, or putting before yourself in repentance and just saying, I am a wicked man <laughs> outside of Christ. <laughs> and I, I need forgiveness. But I'm a child of the king. Uh, so I, hopefully that's helpful for you. And one, another uh, thing that's helpful for you to know is that you can abide by the spirit by clinging to the word of God. Here's the crazy thing. You already have the word of God. Like it's right here. He, look how much he's spoken to you already. Look, look how much he's spoken to you already. And, and we have Bible journals out there that you, that you can buy. And, and it's just a, an encouraging thing for you to know that, that maybe your life should look like where you're searching and abiding by the spirit through the word of God rather than seeking newness and words from everything else and in primarily seeking words from your own self. So, so that takes an abiding by the Spirit. And uh, an, an interesting thing, uh, there's a, a tweet that I saw recently, uh, and this tweet was from Robbie Gallaty. He's a discipleship guy, and, uh, and he tweeted this. After 10 years of research, LifeWay states two things about maturity. Bible engagement is the number one spiritual discipline for growth. Number two, Bible engagement affects every other discipline. People who engage the Bible give more, go more, and evangelize more. So let me just share with you. If you want to be a better disciple of Jesus, it really is that simple. You, you engage the word of God, and you will go more, evangelize more, and do more for the kingdom of God. So I just want to encourage you with that in abiding by the Spirit and God's word. Next thing, pray for boldness and risk for him. So this is my second fear. Uh, and this is on the other end of the spectrum of, of where, where we have all these decisions and sometimes we just choose one and kind of just roll with it. And uh, it's our flesh, but we kind of put, want to put God's name on it and we kind of just roll with it. The other, the other end of the spectrum, though, is where you see so many options. It's, it's the Cheesecake Factory moment uh, with my wife. And she's like, I, I literally don't know what to choose. I don't know if God's going to bless it, so I'm just going to stay put in my safety and security and just not do anything. I'm just going to keep it safe. And, and the fear is that from the quote, I just want to share with you, for, uh, this is also from Kevin DeYoung. He says this, we don't take risks for God because we are obsessed with safety, security, and most of all with the future. That's why most of our prayers fall in two categories, one of two categories. Either we ask that everything would be fine or we ask to know that everything will be fine. We pray for health, travel, jobs, and we should pray for these things, but a lot of prayers boil down to, God, don't let anything unpleasant happen to anyone. Make everything in the world nice for everyone. And when we aren't praying this kind of prayer, we are praying for God to tell us that everything will turn out fine. That's how we pray. That's how I pray. That's how I do it. And, and, and what if God's just saying, 
wait on the Lord, abide by the Spirit, and then do a Paul Acts 15. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take a risk for you. And if it doesn't turn out great, you're still great. You're still seated on your throne. And so I, I, th- I think it's helpful for us to know, because I mean, the, the American dream is safety, security, and comfort. And then you read the Bible, and the Bible says, in order for you to be a disciple, you have to leave your father and mother. In order for you to be a disciple, you have to lose your life. In order for you to be a disciple, I want you to know that because they hated me, they'll hate you. And because I suffered, you will also suffer. You are guaranteed promised that if you're a disciple of Jesus, which looks really risky, not comfortable. And so I would encourage you to just ask God to give you boldness to take risks for him and not seek after your own comfort and safety and your own glory and kingdom. And just see what the Lord does. So next thing. Uh, follow the will of God by being faithful, being a faithful, excellent steward of the old. So this is crazy. Psalm 15, verses one, verse one, and then I'll, I'll jump over to verse four. But it says this, this is crazy. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live in your holy mountain? And then it answers with a couple verses, and then it goes to verse four. It says this, the person that dwells on the holy mountain is this. He who keeps an oath, even when it hurts, and does not change their mind. What if the will of God was you stay, and you be faithful? It may be a year, five, 10, 15, 20, 50 years, and the greatness is just you being faithful even when it hurts. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's your job, and, and, and the Lord may call you out of those things. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I, I feel like we, we, our knee-jerk whenever something gets hard is that God tells us to leave. And what if it's not? What if dwelling on a holy mountain is just you saying, I'm going to trust God to give me joy and contentment even though it really hurts right now? And life is hard and uh, every, everyone else is saying that the, uh, it is idiotic and foolish what I'm doing, and you go, I'm going to trust in the Lord to stick it out. What, what if that's what the Holy Spirit may be telling you? Is that? Right, a couple more. Find the gospel why behind the resolution to redeem it. Okay, so here we go. I'm sure you're thinking, is Stonegate saying New Year's resolutions are bad? They're not bad. Okay, so if you want to do the whole 30, no sugar, the kale, something, I don't know, if you want to do something like that, and, and, it, and it's for like the health of your body, that could be a good thing. But here's the kicker, and, and I'll share a quote from, from John Piper on this. And he says this, my aim is that you will find a way of life that enables you to use your mind and your five senses as, an effect, as effective partners in seeing the glory of God and that you may be so satisfied in him that you're willing to risk your health and your life to make him known. It may seem paradoxical, but that's the way it is. The right use of your body and your mind may enable you to see so much of God that you would sacrifice your life for Christ. So in short, 
I have one life to live for Jesus. I don't want to waste it. My approach is not mainly to lengthen it, but to maximize purity and productivity now. And I want to show as much gospel truth and publish as much gospel truth as I can. I have found for 44 years that exercise helps. And I think God set it up that way. So he's saying, go after your New Year's resolutions, but you need to redeem it to where it's not about you seeking your own glory or making the best body that you can have, but it's you have a healthy, functioning, good body to sacrifice for his kingdom. You have a healthy, functioning, able body and mind so that you can make someone else greater than yourself. That, that, that's, that's, what, that's how we function as believers, is you think outside of yourself and you are all about seeking the kingdom of God and making his name great. So I'd encourage you with that. And it's so funny, I had someone after the first service, they were like, look, I got my 2019 book. You know, she had a board, you know, thing that she showed me. I was like, how did you bring a board? But she had a whole thing of like, here's my 2019 resolutions. Praise God. Praise God for those. Are they for his kingdom or your own? Do that. Last thing. Seek to help make someone else greater. This is, if you want to define what greatness is biblically, it is to make the next person great. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. John 14 verse 12, this is Jesus. Truly, truly, truly I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. So he's saying, I'm doing awesome stuff, pretty crazy stuff, but my whole thing is I want to set up the disciples to do things greater than what I'm, what I'm doing right now. That, that's like Jesus' mentality. Last thing, Mark 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The way to define greatness is not you seeking your own, but to make someone else greater than you. To surround yourself with people that you can develop, whether it's your children, whether it's coworkers, and you are throwing your lives in order to carry their burdens well and to make them great. Disciples of Jesus carry burdens. May you young people, if you wanna, if you wanna know how to function and like figure out what it means to be an adult, being an adult just means you're going to carry other people's burdens well. So it means to be a, a Christian is to be able to think outside of yourself and do that. So I just want to close with this. Um, what if you just said, I'm not going to do something crazy and seek after a new created thing to fill the void that only God can fill when you seek him? What if you took a risk by going back to the boring basics that give life? What if, what if that was 2019? I'm going to seek a boring life by being faithful to what he's already given me. And if he elevates me, praise God. If he keeps me there, praise God. It's going back to the boring basics. What if your question for 2019 was no longer how can I be greater, but what can I help or who can I help to become greater than me to make his name greater in all the earth? And let me just say one thing. For, the, for those of you that are not in Christ, like this is just like, 
What are you talking about someone else's kingdom is, be- is bigger than mine? I-, I would encourage you to take this opportunity to seek your newness in Christ this morning. Rather than seeking greatness in your newness in 2019 New Year's resolutions, what if you just said, I, what I've done every year, it doesn't work. It doesn't fill. It doesn't fulfill. Jesus, just give me you. And the beautiful thing is for some of you in here that don't know Jesus, it says that 2 Corinthians, you are a new creation in Christ. The old goes, the new has come. If you thrust your life upon Jesus. So let me just pray for you. You can bow your heads. And I, I, I maybe just want you to, to have a little time to ask the question to yourself, am I all about my own kingdom? Let, let me put it this way, a quote from Paul David Tripp. We were never meant to be self-focused little kings ruling minuscule little kingdoms with a population of one. Ask God to give you the boldness to find joy in just simply being faithful to him. Ask God to give you the peace of mind even though there are a million options on the table right now for you to seek after. Ask God to give you the peace of mind just to say, I'm content in you. No matter, no matter where you take me next, I'm content. Ask God to give you the peace of mind that if you're in a marriage and it's hard and it hurts, ask God to give you the boldness this year to say, I'm going to love you and honor the covenant that you've given me because you are a great father. You've given me a gift and I'm going to fight for holiness and fight for you. Let me read um, a liturgy over you guys. and This is uh, Andrew Peterson came not too long ago and uh, has a book called Every Moment Holy. Uh, so let me just read this liturgy over y'all and then, uh, and then we'll continue in worship. And for those that, that are needing prayer this morning and, and, and you just are just wrestling with this idea that you're all about your kingdom, we have people in the back that would love to pray with you. And so I would encourage you to be bold and just stand up and to go in the back and pray with them. Examine well your heart and motives before asking that his greatness be displayed in your life. When he answers, it will not be on your terms. For it is not you that will do anything great for God, but God laboring in you and through you who will greatly accomplish his own good purposes according to the workings of his sovereignty and love. Be liberated now from this burden of believing that anything depends on you. And so be liberated at last to give yourself to his joyful service and grateful response for the grace he has lavished upon you. You have till now been too invested 
in the results of your own efforts, as if those outcomes were a thing you could ever know or measure in this life. Be invested instead, child, in the simple obedience to your king and in long faithfulness to his call, shepherding daily those gifts and tasks and relationships he has entrusted to you regardless of the outcomes and appearances. He will bring all things right in his way and in his time. Ask that he give you the willingness to love him, that your heart is in his hands, that your ways are in his hands, that your days are in his hands. Be content in the station he has appointed you in this season and yet be ever ready to move at the impulse of his love. Tend well those things that are before you, however humble they be, and he will lead you in time to other good works he has appointed for you. Whether big or small is of no matter. He attaches no numbers to your service. It is your heart and faithfulness he appraises. Seek not your own glory. Seek God and his glory and his glory will be seen in you. Radiant in humility and in the strength of his mind might be made manifest even in your brokenness, evident even in the smallest of services rendered unto him or offered in his name, even though they be seen by none but you and him. Your reward is secure. Your reward is secure. God, we need you. We love you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.